So even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will they be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. dream that one day down in Alabama with its vicious racist, with its governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification. One day right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. dream that one day every valley shall be exalted. And every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is the faith that I go back to the South with. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. This will be the day when all of God's children be able to sing with new meaning, my country tears of thee. Sweet land of liberty of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. From the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire, let freedom ring. From the mighty mountains of New York, 
Let freedom ring from the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the pervasive slopes of California. But not only that, let freedom ring from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and mole hill of Mississippi, from every mountainside. Let freedom ring, and when this happens, when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Come on, let's go ahead and stand to our feet tonight as we worship the Lord together. Are you guys ready to worship the Lord? He's worthy, amen? Come on, let's put our hands together. We bless you, Jesus. You're worthy, Lord. The heaven, the earth. Oh, Lord. The heaven, the earth. And the world was born. Life begins at in the dusty form Faith commanded And the mountains move Fear is a losing ground To our hope in you Unstoppable God Let your glory go on and on Impossible things Impossible things Shout your praise forevermore. Jesus. 
Hey, we serve a good God, amen? Hey, well, before we continue to worship, I want to remind you, if you've got your phone, go ahead, take it out, check in, let everybody know, all your friends know where you're at and where they should be, amen? We serve a good God. We want them to experience Him too, amen? So as we continue tonight, in Psalms 22, verse 3, the Bible says, Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And as we continue to worship tonight, let our praise build a throne for the king to inhabit tonight. Amen. We came into this place to lift him up and worship him. So as we continue to do that, forget about your neighbor, forget about everything that you brought through those doors, and let your heart connect with him tonight. Amen. our Father everlasting, the creating one. God Almighty, through your Holy Spirit, conceive in Christ the Son, Jesus our Savior. I believe in God our Father, I believe in Christ the Son, I believe Yeah. 
we bless your name. Lord, we bless your name. You're worthy, God. You're worthy. We bless your name, Lord. Oh, Lord. I never knew death could be so serene. I never knew surrender could feel so free. Never seen such a meekness in majesty. That the blood of Jesus was bled for me. And now I see freedom for all of my days. It's only by the power of the cross. The King of Glory rescued me. Oh, you rescued me. The King of Glory rescued me. Come on, let's sing that one more time. We say, Lord. The King of Glory rescued me. And how beautiful, and how beautiful the blood flow. And how merciful. Why don't you tonight go ahead and be seated as we continue to worship through that chorus one more time, and they're going to serve you with communion. Oh, Lord, I never knew these nails would love of unfold. I never knew these wounds would heal my soul. I never seen such beauty and sorrow. That the blood of Jesus was shed for me. And now I see.
wait on for all of my days It's only by the power of the cross I'm a raised, I'm gonna sing it out, say now The King of glory rescued me Oh, you rescued me The King of glory rescued me Come on, one last time we say, Lord The King of glory rescued me How beautiful, how beautiful the blood flow can say that Jesus is worthy of our praise. As they continue to serve communion, you know, for the uninformed, uh, those who don't understand what we're doing, they just see, well, that's not much juice in there, and gee, that's not much to eat. But it's a reminder. Jesus said, the Last Supper, he said, I want you to do something, and every time you do, I want you to remember me. I was praying today, and I asked the Lord what might be a theme in communion. And here's what I believe the Lord said to me. He said, tell the people to consecrate themselves because I'm about to do some great things in their lives and in this nation. What do you mean by that? To consecrate yourself means to set yourself apart to God. We've taken the whole month and just really asked the Lord to, Lord, uh, get ourselves in a spiritual position to realign ourselves, to refocus ourselves. I think it's time now towards the end of January to say yes to the Lord, that whatever you want to do, I want to do that. I want you to imagine that your, your life is like, is like a, a, a sailboat. I want you to imagine you getting in that boat, and our only job is to put up the sail, and it's the Lord's job to supply the wind, and He's the one that sits in the back and steers the ship of our life. And that's the position I want to have. My part is to get in the boat and put up the sail, and His part is to blow the wind and turn my life where He wants it to go. So as they just sing this again for a moment, could you just take a moment with God, a private moment, and say, Lord, what are you calling me to do? Because I want to say yes in this brand new year. How beautiful and how beautiful the blood. And how merciful and how merciful the love shown. Oh, the King poured out, the King of glory poured out. Victorious, victorious are we now. How beautiful and how beautiful the blood flow. And how merciful, 
How merciful love is shown. For oh, the King poured out, the King of glory poured out. Victorious Sabrina. The Last Supper, Matthew 26. Matthew 26, 26 is they were eating. Jesus took bread. Mind you now, he's with 12 apostles or disciples. He blessed that bread and he broke it and he gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body. And then he took the cup and he gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it all of you for this is my blood of the new covenant which he shed for many for the remission or the forgiveness of sins. As we hold this in our hand today, we're reminded that Christ died for us, that our sins drove him to the cross. Well, today, holding this portion of bread in our hand, we simply remember Jesus. And we stand before you today acknowledging our sins, acknowledging the things that we've done wrong, asking for the forgiveness of God, asking for the gift of repentance that leads to life, asking you to help us live fully and completely for you. Bless this bread in Jesus' name. You'd imagine the consecration of the early disciples. Jesus had told them multiple times what was about to happen, but they had no clue what was going on. Jesus is basically saying, I'm going to die, you're going to run away, but that you're going to come back, I'm going to rise from the dead, and then we're going to take this world and turn it around, or turn it right side up. So today, Lord, with this cup in our hand today, as best we're able, we remember that setting with you and 12 men, and one betrayed you, and those men literally changed the world for you. And we offer you our lives today as if we are stepping into that sailing boat and asking that the wind of God would take us wherever you want us to go. We simply want to say yes in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's drink together. Come on, sing one more time, Pastor. Oh, Jesus. And stand as we sing. You do wash as a wine. As oh, the blood, and oh, the blood of Jesus, oh, the blood of Jesus, oh, the blood of Jesus, it was. I'm thankful for that tonight. Give him a hand clap of praise. He's worthy. Amen. Well, why don't you turn around to two or three people, somebody you've never met, tell them how happy you are to see them in the house of the Lord tonight.
Welcome to Church on the Rock. We're so happy you're here worshiping with us today. In the chair back in front of you, we have a lot of information about our church. Our inside look lets you know everything about who we are and what we believe in. Our ministry guide gives you plenty of ways to get connected through classes, small groups, and outreach opportunities. If you are a first time guest, please fill out the white card in the seat back in front of you, drop it in the offering, or you can take it across the hall to the connect room where you will receive a free gift bag. Don't forget about our coffee bar and snacks between Sunday services in the Connect Cafe. So glad you're here and we hope you know that there's always a place for you at Church on the Rock. Here's what's happening at Church on the Rock this week. On Sunday, January 24th, we have Healing Room, a time of prayer and healing at 5 p.m. Immediately afterward, we have our Breakthrough Prayer a night of powerful prayer and worship from 6 to 7 p.m. in the COTR Sanctuary. This Wednesday, January 27th, we have our biannual Life Group promo night with a free hamburger meal. Our leaders will be sharing vision from their small groups to help you find a place where you belong. This weekend in the foyer, you can pick up your tithing statements, sign up your child for Kids Zone Camp at Dry Gulch, and you can register to vote. Next weekend, we have special guest speaker David Canestracy from Gateway City Church in San Jose ministering in all three services. Be sure you're here to experience this powerful service. We have broken the $389,000 mark in our Imagine More campaign. Our first goal is to raise $1 million before we break ground in the spring. Join us by making a pledge and placing a nail in our Imagine More board in the lobby so we can see this dream become a reality. Beginning February 7th, our second service will move from 1045 to 11 a.m. More time for fellowship in between services and making it easier to drop off and pick up your children. Well, amen. If you've been pressing in during this month in January, getting closer to God, I'm telling you, it's really helped me just kind of clear my mind and, and just feel like I'm more sensitive to the Lord and just hearing His voice. You know, we got a voting registration out in the foyer, as you saw on the screen. And if you haven't registered yet, if you want to hold up your hand, our ushers have uh, some cards, whether you're Arkansas or Texas, they'll have some of those with you. So you hold up your hand at this point, they'll get you some of those cards and you register in the foyer. You know, this week we had, during our three prayer times, well over 100 people. When you add it all up, that came in and came either from 6 to 7 or over the noon and at night just to pray for our church, our city, our nation. And that's a powerful thing. And Friday morning, there wasn't, there's not many here in 6 to 7. 
But I just kind of felt a challenge to our men. I, just like, man, what, what if 100 men would show up? And so next Friday, we're doing an all-church one more time during January from 6 to 7, an early morning prayer time to start your day. And I'm kind of just praying that uh, we could get 100 men out. And we're going to have a breakfast right afterwards, and a couple men share something real short. So next Friday, you can check your bulletin on that. We continue to worship the Lord with our tithes and offerings. You know, the first time of the year is a great time to seek first the kingdom of God in every area of our life. And especially in our finances by returning the tithe, the 10% to the Lord uh, through the local church. It's also a time to kind of look back and evaluate, you know, how your year's gone and see if you really did put God first in your life uh, in a lot of different areas. And again, January, a great time to be seeking the Lord. And, and also you saw that tithing reports are available in the foyer. First of all, what's a tithing report? That's a report that our church gives to the members as they get a record of your giving for the year. And that way you can kind of look and say, man, how did I do the year before? And you can also use that on your taxes then. So it's a way to be a faithful steward. But I hear some people say they don't want it recorded. It's between them and the Lord. And, and personally, you know, that's fine. But from what I've seen a lot of people, those people usually don't tithe. But as Kermit the Frog would say as he's sipping his tea, that's none of my business. All right. Hey, just some practical points about giving at COTR. First of all, we have offering envelopes in the back of the chair. You can put cash or checks in those. You can give online through PayPal. We also have debit machines at both entrances uh, that you can use a debit machine. Just make sure your name is printed on there, at either through the card you use or if your signature is kind of like Pastor John's and you can't tell what it is like a doctor, you know, print it out if you want to get credit for that so you can tell what it is. And also, if you ever want to give a special need, like you want to give to missions in Mexico or Thailand, right? Mexico mission or Thailand mission. Also other areas uh, that we have for giving. A special offering would be benevolence. That's our poor and needy in our city that come through our church or, or in, our, in our church. Also sponsoring a youth or a children that go to camp. You can mark that on there. Uh, you can also mark, mark outreach or evangelism. If those words show up, that means that money is going to be set aside for local outreach and evangelism events that we do in our community. Also, of course, the Imagine More campaign, you can mark that. Matter of fact, when I write out my tithe check or debit, I put the amount that goes to tithe, and then I just put the amount that goes to Imagine More. So anyhow, I pray this year we can all look back next year and say, man, I was able to give more this year. And I pray our church, which has every year given more to missions, given more to our community. So how many want to pray this be a great year for all of us? Amen. God bless you. No place I would rather be. No place I would rather be. Oh 
going to reach out to heaven. That's what we want, Lord. We want more. We want more. We want more. Lord, we just all want to say tonight that we love you. Can you just say that out loud? Say, Lord, I love you. And Lord, I want to pray that you just cause my heart to be tender. Tender for you. Tender for the voice of the Spirit. Tender for the will of God. Tender for the needs of people. A compassionate heart. Lord, we're in church on a Saturday night. Not because we have to be, but because we want to be here. Because we want to know you and love you and serve you. We just ask you, Lord, as we open the Bible together, as we talk about spiritual things, that the Holy Spirit's presence would be in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, you may be seated. Give your neighbor a high five. Tell them you are glad they're at church tonight. You may be seated. Hey, we're going to start with a video. All across America, churches and people have been recognizing the life and the work of Dr. Martin Luther King a Christian minister, and uh, I want you to take a peek at this video, but not just historically at what he did, but we're going to talk about what others have done to bring an awakening in America in places of need. Take a peek at this, and then we'll be in the Bible together. We've always perceived ourselves as people of freedom. Freedom of equality, of human decency, of the right to live without fear. These freedoms have been given to us by many who sacrificed greatly. And somehow we've believed that the war has been won, that we have arrived but if we open our eyes, we can see that the dream has not yet been fully realized. That there are still battles to fight. Still inequalities present. Still souls suffering. That our faith demands more than awareness and that no generation is exempt from these battles. But we are held responsible to stand, to do justly, to love mercy, and to serve the least of these. As I said, Martin Luther King was a Christian minister he was a man that called for biblical justice, for equality for those that were oppressed. In his day, it was the Jim Crow laws, laws that prevented a person from going in a restaurant or using a water fountain or where they sat on the back of the bus. His favorite scripture was Amos chapter 5, or not perhaps favorite, but a foundational scripture, Amos 5.24. It says, Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And there's two words, justice and righteousness, that I want to suggest to you that are still needed in our nation today. There are still people that are oppressed, and it's not just people of varying colors of their skin. How I many know oppression is across our land today? It is across the world. 
Uh, Martin Luther King was one of many Christians who endeavored to confront the evil of racism, and prior to his era, it was slavery. In the early 1700s in colonial America, uh, it was Christians who taught slaves to read, and the reason they did it is so they could read the Bible. A man named William Wilberforce, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he was a voice. He was a voice in England. He was a politician. And he was a man that became a Christian while in office. And while he became a Christian, he saw the inequity of the slave trade. He saw the oppression and what it did to families. And he led a 20-year struggle in the Parliament of England to abolish the slave trade, ships to carrying men and women across the waters in 1807. President Abraham Lincoln, he was a Bible believer. He was not portrayed as a church attender as much, but he believed the Bible, and he issued what was called the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863 that declared slaves were free. And the modern writer Dinesh D'Souza talked about these Christian reformers, noting that they all believed that we are created equal in the eyes of God. Now, I say this this evening because this is an example of a spiritual awakening that surrounds an injustice in our land. It is an idea where people, for whatever reason, economic or ignorant or whatever the case is, are doing something wrong, and the Bible is brought to light, the Bible is brought to bear, the Bible is brought to bring an understanding of what the right way is and the wrong way, and then Christians just like you and just like me stand up for what's right in a wayward world, and God causes change to come. It's a spiritual awakening, and we've been doing this series for a couple weeks now called Awakening, and awakening simply means to wake up spiritually. It is a call not only for personally, because how many know, as I'll talk tonight about an awakening in America, we'll talk about how change can come to America, but how many know the nation will never awaken until the church awakens, and the church will never awaken until you and I awaken. It begins with me, it begins with you, and then it begins collectively with us that the spiritual reservoir, as it was, increases, that the voice of the church in the world brings clarity to a wayward world. And America's in trouble today. And this evening, I want to do a little different type of presentation. I want to talk a, a lot. First of all, I want to talk about culture. Mo- my second half of my message will be filled with Bible verses, but I want to talk about some things that are going on in America today. They're indicative of the fact that we're headed down the wrong direction. And then I want to read to you a bit from past awakenings in America's history. Church historians tell us that there were at least three great awakenings in the nation, but if you count smaller activities and moves of the Spirit, there's upwards of six, seven, or even eight times when God's Spirit came to a nation that was wayward, that was living in darkness, that was away from God, and literally tens of thousands of people coming to Christ, and a nation has a spiritual bump and turns in the right direction. So kind of with that background, let's talk about an awakening in America, and I first want to talk to you about our nation today. As I look in our nation, I'm not speaking to you as a Republican or a Democrat. I'm not speaking to you as someone who's just interested in the modern conversations. I want to speak to you as how I see as a Christian minister, someone who believes the Bible is God's inerrant Word of God, how America has strayed from biblical truth. Some things that we're accepting as normal that are not normal. In the State of the Union address recently, our president said, Our nation is strong. Secretary John Kerry said, our world is getting better. I must say, I disagree. 
I agree with Dr. Franklin Graham, Billy Graham's son, who said, our nation is in trouble and needs a spiritual awakening. I am not one who believes America is headed, by and large, in the right direction. By and large, we are headed in the wrong direction in so many different ways. The Scripture says in Proverbs 14, 34, it is a prophetic proclamation over the nation and where she is. It says, doing what is right makes a nation great, but sin will bring disgrace. And I suggest to you, our nation is in the shadow of disgrace in many ways. And I'll give you just a few. In America, racial tensions are getting worse. In America today, we have seen on the streets of our cities where violence, black against white, particularly when policemen are involved, if a white policeman is involved, if a, an African American is shot, it's almost as if the whole nation, that's the only focus of what we look at of the literally dozens upon dozens of people of black-on-black violence, we hear very little about it. We hear very little when a black person shoots a white person. But there is a, there is a, a, a push in America today to stir racial hostility in our nation, to pit me against you and you against me, to blame police simply because of the color of their skin. Certainly policemen have done things that are wrong, but how I many know we've all done things that are wrong? What troubles me is the fact that, that almost everything we look at. I made a comment in church the other day. I forget what it was, but there was a, 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 a young man sitting next to my daughter. And he says, oh, that's racist. That's racist. Everything in America today seems to be racist. The Oscars are racist. If there's not enough people of, of color that won a certain award in a movie, it's like everything in America today. And the solution is not what the Scripture says, to love your neighbor as yourself. The solution is to turn to uncle government and ask him to do something to right the wrong. I suggest to you the problem will not be solved in the halls of Washington, D.C., but through the church, come on, ministering salt and light in the world. We are increasingly becoming a lawless nation. The foundation that our fathers gave us was a nation that was, uh, that was established on laws, and they understood it as the laws of God. When the Constitution didn't address an issue, it was the intent of our founding fathers that we, they presumed that the foundation of all law was God's natural law, and the Bible would serve to guide the nation in days that are ahead. But in today's world, we have, we have a, 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 a theory, a, a practice of whatever you want to call it, call it socialism, call it communism, liberalism, the larger state, and somehow God is being shoved aside, and we are ceasing to become a nation of laws. We will watch what happens. The people of power, when they mess up, they're given a free pass. But selectively, prosecution happens in America. For example, of this lawlessness, immigration. I am the product of an immigrant. My mother immigrated to America from the Baltic state of Latvia many years ago. So I'm a second-generation American, but when people immigrated over the years, there are laws in place in America to govern the integration and the assimilation of people. But we've thrown all the laws away, and politicians have done it for the sake of getting votes and getting lower-paying jobs. Across America, people are being raped, they're being murdered, and sanctuary cities and laws do nothing about it. It's almost as if a free pass is given. And something is wrong when we violate the laws for some reason uh, that we believe would give us gain. 
In America today, a third thing that I see is we make laws in America today we call wrong right and right wrong. I will not harp on it today, but our Supreme Court is increasingly headed in the wrong direction. We saw them redefine marriage this year in complete opposition to God's Word. Now as they listen to a case that's somehow connected to health care, but it is religious freedom, it is the sisters of the poor that don't want to distribute contraceptives, that don't want to include that in their health care. And our Supreme Court justices would not hear arguments about the First Amendment and the freedom of religion as they'll make this decision. This court is becoming increasingly secular, and it's trickling down to us. This past week, across the state line in Texarkana, Arkansas, the board of directors unanimously unanimously passed an anti-discrimination ordinance with minimal citizen input. Let me read this to you. One of the things. There were four different, four different parts of this, of this uh, uh, ordinance. The first several had to do with protecting employees, and it had to do with making sure that they were treating each other right. But here was the one that concerned me the most. All contracts hereafter entered into by the city of Texarkana, Arkansas, any contractor that provides goods and services to the city shall contain a clause stating that the contracting party shall not discriminate on the basis of race, color, creed, religion, sex, all this sounds good, national origin, age, disability, marital status, sexual orientation, gender identity, which means who you are, whether you're male or female, based how you feel about yourself, no biological consideration, no, 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 just if you feel that you're a man in a woman's body, then you can be a woman. You can't discriminate based on genetic information. You say, well, what's the problem? First of all, let me tell you this. I believe that all people deserve dignity, respect, and protection under the law. Let me say it again. I believe every person deserves dignity and respect and honor under the law. We as Christians are called to love our neighbor as ourselves, and we should be some of the best in the world, come on, at loving people who we disagree with, loving people who are different from us, and not being condescended, not being condemning, not being bigoted, not being self-righteous, but in a spirit of love and compassion, helping people find the right way. But having said that, I believe it is wrong when a government forces people to violate their religious faith. You say, well, how would that discrimination ordinance do that? I'll tell you exactly how it would do it. Let's say that I'm selling goods to the city of Texarkana, Arkansas, and they want me to sign this thing. And I wonder if they're going to begin to appoint people that's going to follow up with me. I wonder if we'll have the same problem that the city of Houston fought not too long ago, where a part of their similar ordinance was basically that a person of an, a transgendered person would be able to use whatever restroom they wanted to, which means a man could go in a woman's and a teenage boy could go in the girl's restroom. You say, that's not going to happen. In Chicago, for the last two years, the federal government, the U.S. Department of Education, has demanded that a school allow a young boy to go in the women's uh, basketball room or in the, in the, in, in the locker room and, because he feels like he's a girl. And they made a curtain that he could change behind but then our government said, that's not good enough. He's got to be able to change, and he still has the anatomy of a man. He's got to be able to change clothes in front of these girls and the heck with them. Listen, there's, as a religious person, as someone who believes in the Bible, I see a direct problem between discrimination based on religion and then when sexual orientation or gender identity begin to clash. 
And when this trickles down to our level, my friends, I think it puts the wrong people or person in control. You look around our nation, we have a welfare system that, 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 that thank God for our, our nation's desire to help people. We help more people than any nation on the earth. If there's a crisis around the world, America brings food and medical care and all these things. But the current way the welfare system operates in our nation, it enslaves people. It has destroyed families and it creates dependency. And the worst thing I said, I don't want to spend all night about what's wrong with America, but the worst thing that I see wrong in our nation today that troubles me as a spiritual leader is the fact that we are doing everything we can to boot God, the God of the Bible, out of our society and culture. An atheist group will stand up and say, we don't want you praying in your schools. We don't want your kids praying. We don't want your coaches praying. And it just seems like we say, okay, it's all right. We don't want anything to do with Christmas because it has the word Christ in it. We don't want to have anything in our schools taught about Jesus. We don't want the name of Jesus mentioned. And we are systematically removing the God who made this nation great from our nation. And can I tell you, friends, it is an abomination to God. It is an insult to the goodness of a good God. But let me say this, you know all these things, and I don't want to basically be, quote, negative in church, but what I want to tell you, what we need to solve these problems is a spiritual awakening in America. There, there has been and can be and I believe will be a wholesale returning to God in the days ahead, just like we've seen in our nation's past. Let me read a, thing, a few things to you about a, a, a nation that has a spiritual awakening. I'm going to read this so I don't miss anything. The first great awakening in America began in the 1730s. It was a time in the colonies. It was early in America's history, but it was also a time of spiritual dryness. People were going through the motions of religion, and they were awakened by preachers such as Jonathan Edwards, who preached sinners in the hands of an angry God. George Whitfield, the evangelist, would draw tens of thousands of people in open fields. The Wesley brothers that founded the Methodist church began to preach, and literally tens of thousands of people heard the gospel and were saved. Churches sprang up everywhere. If you've ever wondered why in the world is every town in America have several Methodist churches, several Baptist churches, it is a direct result of the first and second great awakenings in America when these churches were birthed all over in response to the gospel. This awakening created an awakening to prayer and people's fervor for God began to increase. Church didn't have to be a place you had to go to, but it was a place you wanted to go to because your spirit was made alive by God. It was this great awakening. The first one brought about a climate. It was about 45 years before our nation declared the Declaration of Independence. And it is this American Revolution was possible because, because there was a revival that had set the stage and a nation was birthed where all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. There was another revival. There, there, again, as I said, historians believe there were th at least three great awakenings, but some believe more. One of the minor awakenings is called the prayer revival. It happened in the mid-1800s, 1857. There was a layman. His name was Jeremiah Lanfear, and he felt the burden of God. He was a business person, and his burden was to start an outreach ministry from the Dutch Reformed Church. He was reaching unchurched people, and one of the things he did was he started a noonday prayer meeting on Wednesday, and they would come together, they would sing and pray and testify and read scriptures, and before you know it, Wednesday at 12 o'clock, 700 people of all different socioeconomic statuses, all different uh, cultures and races were meeting to pray. 
A local newspaper picked up the story of the prayer, and churches in different denominations began starting prayer meetings all over the city. Overflow crowds, this is New York City, overflow crowds began meeting in community meeting halls and theaters in New York City because the churches would not hold them. Listen, businesses would close for an extended period around lunch so people could pray. Think about that. And today, we're just in this headlong push. Business is open 24-7. The heck with Sunday. Ball games on Sunday. Ball games on... They shut society down because people wanted to pray. They started sharing their faith and large numbers accepted Christ. And an estimated 10,000 people attended services each day in New York City. Conversions numbered in the tens of thousands every week. Individuals from other states attended the prayer services and returned home to begin similar prayer meetings, and its impact lasted 50 years in America. Now, where did it start? It started from the, a prayer meeting, and I'll read some more about it later. But does it surprise us when Mark eleven seven Jesus said this, It is not written, My house should be called a house of prayer for all nations. And should it surprise us that every great awakening in America has started when people of God began to get on their knees to cry out to God, to sit, turn their faces towards heaven and confess their sins and believe that God would visit the nation? Come on. If God could find a man in the 1850s, How many believe he could find a man or a woman today or a child or a teenager? Another revival. And I won't speak. This will be the last one. But in 1906, a little over 100 years ago, there was a major outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Los Angeles, California. The man's name was William Seymour. He was an African-American evangelist. And he too started a prayer group, but these people were believers, and they were seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they were meeting in a house. These services grew and they moved to a small mission on Azusa Street. News reports began to publish the reports of the revival in newspapers around the world. And for a three-year period, there were continuous services held at this little mission with people of all different races and social status and denominations coming together with worship and spiritual fervor. They were receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They were speaking in some language they'd not learned. And then these spirit-filled believers considered everyone to be a witness for Christ. Many got on ships and sailed to foreign lands to share the gospel. And what happened in this little church, renewed Christianity in America, brought fresh vision and passion for the Great Commission. Why should that surprise us when Acts 2.17, when Peter quoted the book of Joel that said, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on All people, your sons and daughters, will prophesy and your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Why should it surprise us? If you were to look today, missiologists tell us that if you survey professing Christians around the world and if you break it in two large groups, charismatic or spirit-filled or full gospel and those that don't believe in that experience, it is the charismatic Pentecostal groups. They're the largest body of Christians around the world, those that hold to the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the working of signs and wonders and miracles around the world composes the largest group of us Christians. It started, listen, you can trace it back to Azusa that holds its roots in other places across America, but it was an awakening, friend, that changed the course of Christianity. It was an awakening 
across America that caused this church to be started when it was a little church on Martin Luther King Boulevard, another awakening that swept the nation in the 60s and 70s called the Jesus Movement, where hippies were getting saved by the thousands across America and churches were being birthed and they were coming to church because they had not found what they were looking for in the world, but the Spirit of God touched their, 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 their hearts and changed the generation. And I'm standing before you today, not because I was a barefoot hippie, but because I was touched by this movement when I came into the kingdom of God. Now, let's go to the Bible in a deeper way. How in the world does this happen, Pastor? Is this just something that's accidental? Does this happen arbitrarily? Does this happen, you know, just because you put revival? Have you ever thought about that when a church puts a sign that says revival services? I can't revive myself. It is something that has a supernatural element to it. But what it is, it's a desire of the church that puts it up there to say, listen, we want God to come and visit us. Usually we get a preacher that stirs us a little bit. But what I'm speaking about is not just a stirring that a man does in the hearts of people, but that an awakening that comes from heaven, come on, and begins to shake the church, and the church shakes the world. Let's go to the Bible. God has a prescription for a spiritual awakening. I look at it in two parts. One is spiritual a spiritual preparation for the believer. And second, it is practical. The practical part is where you and I go out into the world, that we stand for truth, that we let our light shine in a dark place. Let's first begin, though, in 2 Chronicles 7. The God's solution for when the nation of Israel, under Solomon, they built this great temple, and then God looked into the future and said, there's days of trouble coming to you. There's judgment that's coming to the people of God, and this judgment will come because you have fallen away from God and fallen into sin. I mean, no, that's what's wrong in America today. The nation has fallen into sin, and here's what God, the Lord said to Solomon. He said, God said, when I shut up the heavens so there is no rain. We're speaking about a judgment on the land because they've turned their back on God. When I shut up the heavens so there's no rain, or I command the locusts to devour the land, or God says, if I send pestilence among my people. Now notice verse 14. If, say it with me, if my people, say it now, who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. If my people... Then will I. There is a cause and effect relationship. If there is judgment, if there is trouble in the land, in whatever generation you are in, if you were turn yourself back to God, God will cause something to change in your heart that will sprinkle over into the world. Now let's kind of go back and just pause on these just a minute. First of all, he said, if my people. Now how many know the starting place for an awakening is not the state house or the white house, it's the church house. Let me say it again. The starting place for change to come is not when the senators or congressmen or congresswomen get together. How many know it's when the people of God get together? It's what we've been doing this week. It's what we had, I don't know, there were probably 40, 50 people here it looked like uh, that were praying right here at 5.30 before the church service tonight. They'll be here tomorrow. There was prayer in my office before we came out here. There'll be prayer in this room tomorrow or Sunday night, uh, yeah, tomorrow from 6 to 7, people calling out to God. You see, that is the beginning place for an awakening. It's you and it's me, come on, beginning to seek the face of the Lord. And here's the first thing he said, 
He said to humble ourselves. This is a Hebrew word. It means to willingly submit. It means to willingly bow your knee to the Lord Jesus. It's the message of lordship. It is what happens to the Christian when he or she looks at Christ not only as Savior but as Lord. It is the Christian that looks at Jesus as the commander and says, Yes, Lord, whatever you say, I'll do. It's the person who has got into that sailing ship that we talked about earlier and is waiting for the wind to blow. It is the choice. Listen, it's not a feeling. It is a choice to humble ourselves. Everybody say, humble yourself. To willingly submit to God's will. And then it says that we are to pray. That we are to become a house of prayer. Not just for our need, come on, not just for a longer duck season next year, come on, not just for dumber turkeys, but we are to pray that God, come on, would visit the nation. It is a key place where I'm not just looking for the needs and the desires and the wants of John Miller, but I am looking for my nation, I am looking for my city, I am having compassion, come on, on a city government that is headed in the wrong direction, and rather than just criticize that I might go down and drive down to City Hall and just sit in my car and just begin to pray that God would pour out His Spirit, come on, among the men and women that are leading us today. That I might, rather than just go to another movie, come on, after I've gone to one movie, and rather than just riding around town if I'm a teenager, what if I just rode around town, not to look for the cool people, but begin to pray for my city? What if I got in a car with other teenagers, and we just parked in front of the school, not to do mischief, but to begin to pray that God would rescind a revival in our school? Don't you think that might make a difference? It's easy for you and I to sit and condemn. It's easy for us to look at what other people are doing wrong, but how many know friends, this is the way we start to do what's right. When the scripture says that we are not only to humble ourselves to pray, but we are to seek his face, which literally means we are to ask God what to do and to do it. That we are to ask the Lord and in the context of the nation, Lord, what can I do for America? If God could take a man in the 1800s and he could take a business person and put on him the burden for prayer and he would simply open the doors, little did he know that tens of thousands of people from New York City, can you imagine New York City, were coming to Christ. Not only would we humble ourselves and pray and seek his face, but if we would turn from our wicked ways, that if you and I, not the world, But if you and I, because we love God and because we fear Him, if we would continue to choose the life of righteousness, come on, rather than the ways of our flesh, the promise from the Scripture is that if we would turn from our wicked ways, confessing our sin, repenting, and living a righteous life, the promise was that God would hear from heaven, that God would forgive our sin, and God would heal our land. How many know that is what America needs today? It is for God to visit us. Now, let me give you some practical action. God wants us to do more than just pray inside the walls of this church. He wants us to do more than just sing, have a longer worship service, more than just listen to another sermon. Listen, some of us are sermon to death. Don't say amen. (laughs) 
You have enough sermons in your head and on your iPad and on your notebook and it's on your television, it's on your car. Can I tell you, it's time to do something with the sermon. It's time to move out into the world. And I want to give you some very practical things as salt and light. I want to give you just a couple of areas where I think the church needs to be bold in because the work that was started before Martin Luther King's birth and is going on after his life today in terms of racism, can I suggest to you, my friends, Racism solution will not come from the world, but it will come from the church. I do not believe the solutions of racism in America today are reparations, racial quotas, Oscar, uh, the Oscar boycotts, and all these type things. The solution for white people to get along with Hispanic people and Oriental people and black people are, is the church of the living God living by the second great commandment, come on now, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. And no government commission can make me love my neighbor. But if I, as a Christian, come on, to choose to love people that are different from me, to care for them, come on, to allow myself to swallow whatever foolish pride I had and to see that in Jesus Christ there's neither male nor female, the Scripture says, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, but you are all one in Christ Jesus. It is something that inspires me about our church because our church has opened its doors from people that are different than the preacher. Come on now. My wife went to a baby shower at one of the members of our church today. She said, I felt like I was at an international gathering. It was an Indian, a boy that was married to a, a Hispanic girl, and both of them had family members that didn't speak English, but we're all just kind of in the room because we love these kids and love one another. The church needs to have the solution. People need to say, look, follow me as I follow Christ. Let me give you another one that America is horribly confused on. It is sexual morality. Our children in the public education system, our children through the Disney shows, our children through culture today are being taught a morality that is different from God's Word. The Scripture says, listen, in 1 Corinthians 6, that you are to flee sexual immorality. But the Bible, uh, but the culture says there is no such thing as immorality. There's no such. If you are consenting adults, it doesn't matter. And it's pushed down further and further to children. Children are being exposed to teachings that are against the teachings of the Bible. I suggest to you, my friends, we need to first live it. My daughter Bethany, when she was, I think, 12 years old, we gave her a promise ring, and she wore, Daddy gave it to her on a date, and she wore that little ring until she met Mr. Wonderful, and then she melted that ring down, and she got some more jewelry, and she made his wedding ring, and then she gave herself to him in purity. Now listen, there needs to be more daddies taking out 12-year-olds or 10-year-olds in today's world today and showing them the right and wrong way to live. There needs to be more Christians that are working out their differences that have marriages that last 50, 60 years. Come on until both of you go to be with the Lord. And then that gives us the basis of credibility to be able to say to the world, there is a right way and a wrong way. Come on. And God's ways are the way of marriage between a man and a woman that are living together in purity and ignoring everything else going on in this crazy world. Here's a third one. It is religious freedom. In Matthew 24, Jesus said this, The good news about God's kingdom will be preached in all the world to every nation. That's why I want religious freedom. 
Not so people will leave me alone and not so people will not bother me because I'm a Christian, but so that there will be freedom in America to proclaim the good news. There is talk in America today about a constitutional convention to change the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. And one thing that's being floated is that we would change the First Amendment that gives me the right to practice my religion. And Congress shall make no law respecting that. Uh, They're supposed to protect religion rather than persecute it. They want to change the word to worship, which means you keep your religion in the four doors of your building. But don't bring it out in the community. Don't have a voice about abortion. Don't have a voice about same-sex marriage. Don't have a voice about whatever it is, alcohol abuse or whatever the case is. You keep your religion to yourself and in the church. Can I tell you, friends, that is antithetical to what the Bible tells you and I to do. We are to be salt and light. We are to be a voice of proclamation and an example for the world to follow. And I suggest to you, we as Christians, it's time we stood up and tell the world that we are tired of you pushing against us. That we, listen, whether we'll have our own lawyers and our own money, we don't want to fight you, but we will fight you. We will stand for our rights, but not so we'll just be able to have our little church service so the gospel can be freely preached around the world. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. The sanctity of life. This Friday, as all Washington is preparing for a huge blizzard to come that's blanketing the area, They say one in seven Americans will be affected by this great storm that's blowing eastward. On Friday, there was the annual March for Life by believers standing for the right of the unborn. It is the anniversary of Roe versus Wade since when over 50 million Americans have lost their lives. I'm told today there's an average of over 43 43 million people a year that lose their lives around the world through abortion. You say, why are you so strong about that, preacher? It's because Psalm 139 verse 13 says this. It says, you knit me together in my mother's womb. You, God, saw me before I was born. And listen to this now. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. If I am created in the image of God and if my life has been recorded in a book, listen, how could someone have the right to take my life? Come on, that God wants me to do something. I, you and I must stand for those who cannot stand for themselves. You and I must encourage the practice of adoption. You and I must encourage people, help the single mother. You and I must encourage people to abstinence. You and I must direct people to crisis pregnancy centers. You and I must do more than just say this thing is wrong. Come on. You and I must help people that are in trouble and help people that are wayward. But you and I must not silence our voice. It is no different, these issues I speak about today, than what the world... Listen, a preacher several decades ago that was heard of by a few, the whole nation heard of the name Martin Luther King, and today in most cities around America, there's a boulevard named after somebody that stood up for injustice, and we're talking about the same thing today in so many different ways. Let me give you just one more. Let me just broadly talk about this word injustice. In America today and around the world, sex trafficking happens. There are people that bring women through our city on a regular basis that use our local hotels, that try to solicit people to offer their bodies to them. Truck stops are used for this. I mean, we live in a world today where women, where even young boys are involved in sex trafficking against their will. Can I tell you, my friends, it is the voice of the Christian that should stand up for this. 
It is the voice of those who cannot stand for themselves. Whether it is someone that is in poverty, someone that is the victim of violence, or someone that's the victim of abuse. Come on, you and I should be the big brother. You and I should be the big sister. You and I should be the mom or the dad to those who cannot defend themselves and stand up for them. So why do you say that, preacher? Because Psalm 82 tells me to. It says, give justice to the poor and the orphan. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and the helpless. Deliver them from the grasp of evil people. Well, can I tell you, my friend, evil people are making money off of this. And that's why evil people, a number of years ago when they opened the first, uh, uh, you know, uh, nudie club downtown. Well, there's been two since I've been here in 25 years. One was, uh, I think, called Baby Dolls on, in Nash. And one downtown in the old train station building. There was an Episcopal priest that for six weeks stood out on the street every day with his video camera. I don't know if he had tape in it or not, but he stood out there all night long. He made a camp meeting, and before you know it, they were put out of business. Because I'll tell you, friends, just in the same way that they got alcohol into our city, that's exactly, come on, that's how people make money. They want to do things like this. It's legal in other cities. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't want my children, I don't want my son, I don't want your son, I don't want your husband being tempted like that when it's hard enough to live pure as a married man in America today. Injustice. The last thing I want to say, well, the last thing I want to say before I, I go back to that prayer meeting is this. You and I need to be involved in what the world calls politics. Now hear me. Exodus 18.21, God told Moses, Select from all the people capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes and appoint them as leaders. I suggest to you that is a foundational principle for why the Christian should vote. I'll talk to you about it more in the future. But listen, if you're not registered, you can't vote. And if you, can't, if you don't vote, you can't have a say in our culture. I, I hope you'll do that. Listen, I'm going to wrap this up today with this. I want to go back to that prayer meeting. It inspired me when I read about that revival in the 1850s. Let me tell you what America was like before that prayer meeting started. Secular and religious conditions had combined to bring about a crash. There was an economic crash as people were speculating in markets, just like the stock market has lost, multiplied billions of dollars. The same thing happened in their day without the same controls. Religion was dead. Thousands of merchants had closed their doors in New York City as banks had failed, railroads went into bankruptcies, factories were shut down, vast numbers of people were thrown out of employment. New York City alone had 30,000 idle men. The hearts of the people had become weaned from speculation and what money could give them. But there was a hunger and despair staring them in the face. And could I suggest to you, they were ready for an awakening. And it was in that environment of a nation in trouble. It was 12 o'clock noon, September 23rd, 1857. And for the first time, this man named Lanthier took his seat to await the response to his invitation. He'd put out flyers all over town. Five minutes went by, 12.05, and nobody was there. This missionary to his own city paced the room somewhere between fear and faith. Ten minutes went by, nobody came. Fifteen minutes, he's all alone. Twenty minutes, 25.30. And then at 
He heard steps on the stairs, and the first person showed up. Then another and another. Six people were there, and the prayer meeting began. On the following Wednesday, there were 40 intercessors praying. Two weeks later, they decided to start praying daily rather than weekly. Six months later, 10,000 businessmen were gathering daily for prayer in New York. And within two years, a million converts were added to the American churches. A prayer meeting had become the greatest revival in New York's history. And I suggest to you what God did before, God can do again. Because we, my friends, need an awakening for, for, in America for the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, give him a hand today. He is worthy of our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet today? And I want you to stand as we stand before God and ask you this question. Look at me eyeball to eyeball. If I were to ask you, do you want a revival in America? Do you want an awakening in America? Would you like to get a hamburger after church? Would you like to go to the movies? Would you like to have a revival in America? Would you like for me to send you that video I saw on YouTube? It was really funny. Would you like one of my, my puppies? I got a bunch. I need to get away some. Would you like to... Would you like to have a revival in America today? It's almost like somehow in the common ordinary of life, an awakening from God has to be the cry of our heart. Could we just simply stand before the Lord tonight and say, Lord, I, we need an awakening. We want to ask you that you would pour out your spirit. We want to ask you, Lord, to have mercy on this nation. Come on, reach out to God for a moment. Would you have mercy on America? Would you have mercy, Lord, on a nation that has turned her back on you? We don't want to just be of the crowd that are just saying we're against something. We don't like it. We don't want to just be the religious minority that's griping. We want to be people, Lord, that see people that you care about and love in America turn back to God. So today, Lord, I just see in my mind's eye that little sailing ship today. And I'm in that ship. And I'm raising my sail. And I'm asking you today, Lord, let the wind blow. I'm inviting you to get in that little ship with me. And you use the rudder. You steer it wherever you want it to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Because you're the captain. Come Holy Spirit today. What God did with a businessman changed the face of New York City. Do it again and use me. Come on, reach out to heaven with me for a Holy Spirit, fire burning ever in our soul. Thank you, God. Kings and Falling, hear your people calling. King of kings, we need a miracle. Thank you, God. We're going to close this way tonight. I, I want to give you an opportunity for prayer. We normally do it in the middle of the service and the end, but today we had communion. 
But I'm going to ask our prayer team to come if you'd like for someone to take just a moment with you because maybe you do need a miracle. Maybe it was something this in this message tonight that touched you or more importantly, maybe this message did nothing to you. And that's an indicator of the fact that there must be dryness or callousness in my heart and you want somebody to pray, for, pray with you that God would awaken your heart. But we'll pray with you about anything. We'll believe God if you're sick. If, you're, if you've got troubles, you've got a big decision this week, we'd be honored to pray with you. But the most important thing we'd like to pray about tonight is your own spiritual life. I've been talking to Christians tonight. But maybe you are today where I was a number of years ago. Thirty-some years ago, I was a 19-year-old boy. I was running away from my problems. I thought I had life together. But everything that was making me happy just began to kind of like put water that had a, in a bucket that had a hole in it, it all run out. What I realized, what's missing in my life is a relationship with God. And I invited Jesus Christ to be my Savior when I was 19 years of age. August 15, 1976. It was a profound day for me. It was a day that I committed my life to Christ. I asked for His forgiveness, and I began to follow Him. Maybe that's what you need today. At Spiritual Awakening, where Jesus becomes your Savior. If that's the prayer that you need today, I'm going to invite you when we come in a moment to meet someone over at this cross, and they'd be honored to pray with you. But whatever it is, just begin to sing. Our prayer team is coming to the altar right now, and if you want prayer for anything this evening, I'm going to encourage you to just slip out of your chair and let us pray for you tonight. Let us believe God for your miracle. If you need to make a step to Christ, come to the cross. We'd be honored to pray. Good to have you and I be blessed, and we look forward to seeing you next week. God bless you.